morning, everybody. Um, can we give Nick and Brandon a hand here? Um, thank you guys for leading us in worship. Don't worry, I'm not preaching. I'm just doing communion time, so um, you only have to deal with me for a few minutes here. But um, we are going to transition into the time of the Lord's Supper here uh, as a church. And it's a time that we all get to share a meal, uh, however small. Um, it is a meal that means so much more than, than just this little cup and, and this little uh, cracker. So there's two people that I'd like to talk to this morning, which is, uh, I think, pretty typical when we come up here. Um, there's the people who follow Christ and the people who have not yet started to follow Christ. And uh, the only difference is just that. Uh, we're all sinners. We're all the same other than one group has been atoned for and the other has not. So uh, the first group, anyone who has not yet believed in Christ or follow Christ, um, I'd ask you at this time, uh, don't worry about participating. Um, no one's going to look at you funny. Uh, no one's probably even going to notice. You don't have to come up here with your arms crossed, not, not to dig my Catholic friends, but um, just sit there uh, and just kind of contemplate what's happening. Um, we don't put any stock in traditions here. So this isn't just a tradition. This isn't just something we do. Um, it, it, this doesn't get us to Jesus, just like going to church doesn't get us to Jesus, just like reading the Bible and knowing everything front to back that doesn't get us to Jesus. Um, it's only the gospel. It's only the good news of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And one of my favorite uh, just summaries, I'm a very simple-minded guy. I like to find the simple things in the Bible. And Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's all you have to do. So as you sit there, um, just know there's no barriers between you and Jesus except for yourself. There's no other barrier. There's no tradition. There's no amount of going to church. There's no amount of reading the Bible that can get you closer uh, to getting saved or to, to getting closer to God. Jesus is the only bridge uh, for that gap. So um, I'll quit picking on you if you haven't uh, yet given your life to Christ, and I'll start picking on the people who have given their life to Christ, the, the believers in the congregation. Um, at this time, I do invite you to the table if you're a believer uh, and it's a really common Christian idiom or like a, a metaphor, whatever you want to say, um, that before you take communion, you should get right with God, which I do agree with to a certain extent. Um, but it's, it, it always leaves me begging the question, how? How do I get right with God? How can I do better? How, how can I get to him? Uh, and I'd like you to remember back to the Last Supper. Remember when Jesus invited these disciples in, the 12, for his final meal on earth, because he knew his hour had come. Um, the list isn't great. It's uh, Peter, who would deny Jesus not just once or twice, but three times during the crucifixion. Um, there were people like James and John, who are known to be hotheads, and I call them meatheads. That's how I think of them. Uh, they just didn't quite get it most of the time. Um, of course, there's, there's Thomas, who is known forever as Doubting Thomas, right? He doubted when, when Jesus came back. Um, and then, of course, Judas, which speaks for himself. But all of them would end up leaving him, leaving Jesus at his greatest time of need. They all deserted him. So when we come to this table, 
Uh, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. It's not a matter of, um, I need to do X, Y, Z before I can come take communion. I know sometimes I think, like, should I actually participate in communion today? Should I come partake of the Lord's Supper with everyone else? Am I good enough to do that? And I'm going to tell you, you're not good enough to do that. But Jesus is. Jesus is the only reason that we can come to the table and recline with him. Coming to the table is the sign of being with Jesus. So when we come to this table, we come humbly. We admit that it's not possible to get right with God without Jesus. So maybe, you know, I haven't read my Bible this week. Maybe I haven't prayed this week. Um, you know, maybe I kicked, kicked the dog this week and I, I shouldn't have because I got angry. I'm not saying I did that, but I'm just saying some of you might have. <laughs> um, it's not a matter of being good. It's a matter of abiding in Jesus. So the same thing I said to the unbelievers, to you believers, you are the biggest barrier between you and Jesus still at this point. It's all about what's in the heart and just coming to the table. I love the word recline. So like they reclined at the table because Jesus's burden is very light and his yoke is very easy. So as we come today, uh, I ask you to just consider your own heart, contemplate your own repentance um, and join me in taking communion. I'm going to do this on my phone because last time my Bible almost fell off, off here. But um, So this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I ask you to join in partaking of Christ's body. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So I ask you to join me in taking the cup. All right, and if you guys would all uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your free gift of salvation. We thank you, uh, Jesus, for being the bridge uh, between us and God. Uh, we thank you so much for your forgiveness that we could never earn, never deserve, never replicate, um, never, never ever find in this earth or in this world. We ask you to give us the gospel intentionality to go forth with your word uh, as our sword and just keep us uh, humbly walking with you this week and soften our hearts uh, toward you. We love you. Amen. All right. I know most of you would rather have not seen me when you opened your eyes there, but um, I do want to have a, a short moment of celebration. Um, we just got back from Honduras, uh, Michael Hogan and Brett um, and myself and a couple other guys from World Gospel. And we thank you immensely for all of your prayers uh, and just thinking about us while we were gone. Um, and thank you to all the wives who stayed home behind us as well and, and just watched our crazy kids too. So um, it was a really good trip. We, we got to see three villages, um, all with definite physical needs, all with needs that we 
probably won't be able to 100% meet. Um, but I was telling the, the first service that I, I never really found someone who was extremely discontent there. Um, most of these don't even have clean water as we know it. Uh, so like the, the basis of life, which is water, well, it's Jesus, but, but physically it's water, um, they were still content. Uh, so the biggest need, just like here, just like in Paleowala, uh, is spiritual, is the gospel. So if you guys could continue praying for Honduras, um, I think we'll probably send a few teams back. Uh, we have some decisions, decisions to make with that. So, um, but anyway, I appreciate your prayers. So I'll hand it over to Pastor Adam. Actually, it's a video. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you, Seth, for, uh, for leading us in that time, and uh, as you know, we cannot preach here without a bumper video to just amp up the room, you know, and so you're amped up, you're ready to go, uh, as I could tell with kind of your, your boring greeting uh, this morning, but we'll let that slide. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 uh, this morning, uh, Mark chapter 4, looking at the same exact verses that we looked at last week, and while you turn in your Bibles there, let me go ahead and just make mention of this. If you're a guest here today, you're coming across a lot of um, maybe new uh, or unique things that you're not uh, super familiar with, communion being one of those things that we do. It's an ordinance from Jesus Christ. He commanded that we do it, and I know a lot of people have confusion about that, so if that's you, we'd love to answer your questions about that. Um, so if you're here, you are a guest. We have these connect cards. They're in the seat backs um, uh, around you. If you want to grab one of those, fill one of those out, and uh, you can place it in our connect, um, in the basket over by our connect desk, which is right out these doors here. Somebody will be there to greet you, give you a gift, and it's just really our way of just touching base with you, of uh, learning your name and kind of making an uh, introduction if you would allow us that opportunity. And if not, that's totally fine. You're welcome back next week, and we're going to say it again next week. So um, it'll always be here, um, but we are um, just very serious about ministering to the needs of those who, who come our way. If you're in this room, we don't believe it's by accident. Um, we just don't believe it's by accident. We believe it's of the Lord that he has orchestrated this and put us in this moment together. And so we want to try to take advantage of that at time, that time as much as possible uh, with you. And so Mark chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 20, last week we looked at these verses from an angle of concern. This week, we're going to look at the same verses from an angle of comfort, and uh, we're going to pray about it before we get into it. So let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. Grateful for communion. We're grateful for what you did in Honduras and just the awareness that you gave our guys and gave World Gospel, and we pray for wisdom for the next step there. We do ask now that you would uh, speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, God, that you would move in our hearts in a way that only you can. And as we talk about the heart this morning, God, I pray that we would, we would do what we can do um, to prune, to create room, uh, to cultivate good ground so that we would not just be people who claim your name, but that we would be people who claim your name and bear spiritual fruit by becoming more like you and sharing your truth with other people. Help us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, we live, um, I would say, in a world desperate for fairness. Uh, maybe you would agree. I think it's kind of innate. Um, and I've learned this more and more. I have two daughters who are 14 months apart. And so we kind of treat them like twins almost. Like they're just, they do everything together. Um, they're in the same grade. They just do everything together. And I've found that it is extremely hard to reward one of them without rewarding the other person. Why? Because it's just not fair. Why does she get that, right? That's, that's not fair. Even if I offer to both of them to do a job and I say, you know, on the backside of this job, there's going to be this reward. I'll give you a buck or, you know, I'll play a video game with you or something like that. Then if I have that time, if I share that reward with my one daughter who did the job well, then the other job, the other daughter who didn't do the job, she's still going to be offended, isn't she? Still going to be a little bit hurt because it's not fair that one would get it and not the other. And I think it's this predisposition to fairness, or more accurately, pride. I think that's what it is, right? It's always unfair if somebody else gets something that we don't get. That it's kind of made it hard for us to understand certain things about the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ. Because in the world of tolerance and acceptance and, you know, everything, we, we all want to pick and choose parts of Jesus and parts of church and parts of faith that we want, and we don't want us you know, anyone else to tell us whether we're right or wrong, however big or little that is. We don't want any of that. We want to do as we feel fit. But if that's you, then it might be kind of concerning the things that we read about in the scriptures. Like when Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. There's no neutral zone here. Or in Romans chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, it says this, as it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. The rock is Jesus, and there are going to be people who stumble over him on their way to hell, and there's going to be a bunch of other people who believe on him and who are not to put to shame, and there's no middle ground. There's no neutral zone. There's no, Jesus is good for you, but he's not good for me. You believe what you want. I'm not against Jesus. He's just not my guy, right? I'm going to do this thing. There's no neutral ground, and people are concerned about this. Even Christians, they have a concern about this. And if you read verses 10 through 12, verses that we looked at uh, very heavily last week, then you'll kind of have that concern resurge. And so if you want that to be addressed, uh, you can go back and listen to last week's message. But as I told you guys today... This week, we're looking at it from an angle of concern, uh, sorry, an angle of comfort. We're not going to do two concerns. That's, that's just not good shepherding, right? We're going to look at it from the angle of, of comfort. And I do pray that as we see this parable from the angle of concern and the angle of comfort, that they would both actually just energize our zeal for the gospel. Because the concerning factor is this, there is no neutral zone, which means the people that you know who are nice and kind and loving and who don't love Jesus, that their end is terrible. Their eternity is terrible, and so you should be concerned, and you should do something about it. And for those of us who have Christ, and we are comforted by his grace, and by his truth, and by his mercy, then yes, we need to get that word out there too, right? 
All of it. All of it is part of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to look at this week, looking at uh, uh, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read that, uh, that parable. Verses 10 through 12, we looked at mostly last week. And then we're going to spend most of our time in verses 13 through 20, where Jesus explains the parable. But I'm going to invite Ruth up, who's going to read the parable for us, verses 1 through 9. If you have a copy of the scriptures, grab that. If you don't, there's black Bibles around you somewhere. Page 890 will get you to Mark chapter 4. And would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he had got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Awesome. Thank you, Ruth. You can have a seat. The great line from Jesus, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen, right? Um, that's the difference between ear, hearing with your ears and hearing with open hearts, actually welcoming and ready to receive his truth. And so we're going to begin today uh, by looking at a few definitions that will be just helpful, helpful for us as we go about our day. As I said, uh, the, the verses that Ruth just read, that's the parable, that's the analogy that Jesus presents Right, And then in verses 13 through 20, he explains perfectly what this parable means. And he explains it to his disciples and those who are, who are near him and who are asking about it. Right, And he says this in verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, do you not understand this par- parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. So there's three things we need to define. First is this, it's the seed. What is the seed? Well, the seed is the word. It is the gospel. It is the death and resurrection and, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It is the truth. It is the way, as it says in the New Testament. It's Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it's very simple. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. Now, the sower in this immediate context is Jesus. Jesus is painting a picture of Jesus. He is, he is telling people about himself. And in a broader context, even now in today's uh, terms, right, the Bible in its timelessness calls us to be sowers, people who would share the truth of Jesus, right? So in the immediate context, the sower is Christ. In our context now, we are called to be sowers, to be those who scatter seeds of truth for others who need to know it. And also, it would be helpful for us since we are talking about different kinds of ground and soil, right? The hard path, the rocky path, the thorny, or the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. He's talking about ground and soil, and what does all that mean? Well, that is just a way for him to express the hearts of people. There are people who have very hard hearts, and it's like a hard path. There are people who have very rocky hearts. It's a little softer than hard, but it's still got rocks everywhere. And then there's people with thorny hearts, 
the ground is pretty good, but everything's growing and there's no pruning. And then there's good ground. It is soft, it is moist, it is ready to receive seed, and the seed goes deep, and what it produces is beautiful, right? So when he's talking about ground, he's talking about soil. He's talking about the condition of your and my heart and how we receive his truth, his word, which is Jesus. And the first one he talks about is the hard path, and this is the hardest it gets, okay? This is the hard path. Look with me at verse 15. He says, some are like the word sown on the path, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. That's a big one, right? This is the default, The parable, as he said, this is the hard path. And in the parable, if you listen to uh, what Ruth was saying, in the parable, the the seed is planted, but the ground is so hard that the seed stays on the top. And when the seed stays on the top, then birds are going to do what birds do. And they come and they devour the seed. Luke, actually, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share the same parable, right? But if you know anything about the gospel writers, Mark is very short-winded compared to Matthew and Luke. So we're going to point to Matthew and Luke throughout this as they add further details and explanation about this parable. Um, Luke says that these seeds aren't only devoured, but they've been trampled on, right? So they land on the hard path, they've been trampled on, and then the seeds come and take it away. And Jesus explains this when he says that the birds coming and taking the, taking the seeds away, it's like Satan. Satan is the one who comes and takes the seeds of truth away, the seeds of truth that do not go beneath the ground. Matthew says these are people who do not understand the truth. The ground's too hard, they don't understand it. And Luke says that they don't understand, and, and because of the schemes of Satan, that they may not believe and be saved. Right? The, the seed doesn't go any deeper, and so they don't believe. They are not saved. They don't understand it. And it would be foolish for us to think that the enemy is not behind this. This is his main scheme. He loves to do this. And so hard-hearted people, these are the people who don't understand the word. They've been trampled. They resist. They do not believe, and they are not saved. And this is the scheme of the enemy. And I want to go ahead and just say this. The world is tough, and people are mean, and there's a lot of people I know who don't have any history with church or religion or God, but they do have a vast history with bad dads and bad families and bad circumstances and just terrible lives and upbringings. They just seem like they've just, they've just got a bad lot in life, and so they have been trampled. Like, they've literally been trampled, and so to, to like, no intentionality of their own, their hearts are hard as can be, and they resist truth because they've been dispositioned to this. Like, they've been almost, like, it's, like, just part of their upbringing. It's, like, they, they have this, and so we, we have grace for people like that. We have mercy for people like that because we know this life is difficult, And we also know that even though they had a bad circumstance and a bad situation, that even people with good circumstances and good uh, uh, situations, that they can still have hard hearts just as hard. Just as hard, right? And so there is grace here for the people who have been trampled. And there is grace for for the hard hearted. At least from our efforts to them to plant seeds and to scatter seeds. We don't cast them out, right? We still include them in our efforts to share truth. And I want to be clear about a few things here. Satan, he's not everywhere and he's not all-knowing. He's not God. So when you read about Satan just taking away seeds of truth, don't read this as in, you know, God's pretty powerful and Satan's equally as powerful and they're just battling back and forth for the heart and who knows will win, right? That's not the case here. Jesus and Satan are not 
equal in power and equal in strength. Satan's a done deal. He's, he's over, right? The only power he has is what is permitted to him at this point. He is finite. He is small. He is not. He is not God. He's not even close to being God. But his shrewdness and his evil are ancient, and they are masterfully refined. And he has a vast army of demons and minions that allow for his vast influence, which means this, that you cannot find a place or person in this world where his influence has not been. And that includes you. And that includes me. There's not a place in this world where his influence has not been. And there's not been a person in this world where his influence has not been there. And the reason I know that is because you live here and now in this world. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Satan is the ruler of the power of the air, the same air you breathe. In John 12, 31, he is called the ruler of this world. And we all live our lives and we scroll on our phones and we just go about our days in this world. So the ways of thought and, and the faith systems out there and all of that stuff, we would be foolish to think that those things don't have evil influence behind them. Anything to defame and minimize Jesus Christ and to keep his followers from being fruitful. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, that the Spirit of God explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. The influence and teachings of Satan and his demons have stretched into every part of this world, and it has happened through false teachers who have lost all truth consciousness. These false prophets, they've been deceived, they've been manipulated, to such a point that their truth nerves have been spiritually mutilated and cauterized. That's, that's the idea. The consciences are seared. And now, thanks to the digital age, even minor false prophets can have major influence. You see, the hard path is the wide path. It is the default, and we've all been there. Seeds remain on the surface, and the birds of the sky work for the ruler of the air who is Satan, and his birds are everywhere. And what they seek to do is keep people from belief, to keep people from fruitfulness, to keep people from receiving the truth, and sadly, to keep people from being saved, from knowing that Jesus died for them. And even in the grimness of all of this, there is comfort. And the comfort is this, we've already said it, that God is greater. He is greater than Satan, and he is greater than any hard heart that you might have. And it's not over until it's over. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this, and it's a beautiful passage. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, extreme hard-heartedness, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We were all there. We were all under his influence. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, because that's his influence, is to keep us bound to our flesh, keep us bound to serving ourselves, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Because we were this way, we had nothing for us other than wrath, other than hell, because we were unholy, and he's perfect and holy, and he cannot exist in the same space as unholy people. But God, verse 4, 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And it is the grace of Jesus Christ that has made you holy, even though you aren't. He has made you holy. He has qualified you as holy so that you can exist in the same space as God himself. Doesn't matter how hard your heart is. If you receive and respond to his truth with humility, And if you ask for his forgiveness, he'll give it to you. No matter how much you've been trampled, no matter how hard uh, hard you've become, he can turn a desert-like heart into an oasis of God's mercy and grace in a moment. It's not over until it's over. And if you have breath in your lungs, then there is hope. If you respond to truth with humility and repentance, He goes on to talk about the rocky ground, verse 16. And others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the word, it says, they immediately fall away. Now in the parable, Jesus talks about shallow soil. And he talks about um, um, uh, growing, it grows quickly, but then it gets scorched by the sun because there's no roots. Luke says that, that this, in, in the rocky places, it lacks moisture. And so the result is, is that under pressure, it withers away. And Jesus explains this. This is quick, you know, you hear the word and it's quick reception with joy, but it's short-lived and they fall away under distress and persecution and not just any distress or persecution, like I stubbed my toe this morning, so now I'm falling away from the faith. It's distress or persecution because of the word. As Luke said, it's a time of testing and it's a test because it'll prove whether or not you're gonna be one who endures or doesn't. Rocky ground people, They're quick to receive truth based on its blessings, but they are quick to wander away as well when things get really, really hard, right? Fear, I think, is a huge part of this. I think a lot of people, they receive Christ, but as soon as cost becomes a factor, they're like, I don't know if this is worth that, and there's fear, and there's uncertainty, and there's doubts about whether or not it's worth it. And I think this is a pivotal understanding for, for us believers in Jesus Christ. For those who endure in Christ Jesus, we've learned this. And for many of you, you're kind of just stepping into the zone maybe, and you're not quite sure yet because it hasn't demanded anything from your life. It hasn't cost you anything. That a fulfilling and joyous life does not always mean an easy life. They're not, they're not the same thing. If ease is a primary goal for you, then you have probably some rocky places in your heart. Ease is not a Christian value. It's not a Christian goal. And if you're really following after Christ, it's not going to be really your experience as a Christian. Even when Jesus says, and we've said it a few times today, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say my yoke is non-existent and my burden is, is forever gone. Like, it's still there. He's not talking about just total comfort and total easiness of life without hardship. He's talking about a life that maintains rest in their soul because they have a confidence in the Lord even in the the expected burden. It is to be expected. He said, in this life, you are going to have trouble. It's a given. But we can take heart because he's overcome the world. That's the ease. That's the lightness of burden. It's still there. The yoke is there. The burden is there. But we can just carry it a whole lot better because we have him. 
In fact, I would say spiritual growth is quite gritty at times. The things that we do for the Lord, trying to follow him in this world, it's a mess, and it's really hard, and it's far from easy. And again, if you're following after Christ, and it's been a very easy experience for you, then you're probably not following Christ. And I think there are many people who, who walk into Christianity starry-eyed and captivated by all the aesthetics and all the music and all the family friendliness and all of the, the cool club aspects of church. But when they get a glimpse of, of the real thing, then they walk out as fast as they walked in. It's a momentary infatuation with truth, but it's not real embrace. It's not real surrender. It's not real belief. And, as Jesus says, there's no fruit no fruit to show for this. It can't grow. Comfort that I want to speak to here is simply this. For those who do endure in the distress because of the word, then those are the people who are going to know joy and fulfillment more than anyone else. The ones who experience distress because of the word are the ones who are going to know joy and fulfillment more than the other people who are chasing it desperately without Christ. And nobody speaks better to this than uh, uh, the Bible writer James. James, at the start of his letter, he says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. At the end of his letter, he says this in chapter 5, We count as blessed those have, who have endured. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He put simply, when we endure for Christ, not only does it grow our faith and spiritual stature, but then others who see us from the outside, they look in and they see those going through trial and they're going through trusting and yet they're, they're enduring and they have a certainty about the Lord and a certainty in the Lord's compassion and mercy to sustain and redeem and provide for them. And so people look from the outside in and think, whoa, those people are blessed, Right? Why else do we, we read about martyrs and read about missionaries who have gone through incredible links in the name of Christ if it's not to embolden us in our faith? And that's what it does. But then when we have the chance to do what they did, we're like, I don't know if that's for me. I think that's for those super Christians. That's not, that's my, not my deal. That's too hard for me. It's the same thing. See, these are the people, the people who endure. These are the people who take Roman, Romans 8 at its word, that God truly will work all, the, all of this stuff out for the good of us as we love him. And they hold fast to that love, and they endure, and they know fulfillment. Jesus goes on to talk about the thorny ground, verses 18 and 19. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, I think this is probably where most evangelical Christians are, battling it out with the world, with the thorns of the world, people who are at risk of being choked out by the thorns. Luke says this, by the way, he says these thorns grow up with the seed, which means it's not really an totally a case of, a, of bad soil. It's just there's no pruning going on. It's not just the good stuff growing, it's everything, and that's not good. Jesus' meaning here is that they hear the fruits. They, they, hear, they hear the truth, but their lives, even though they might be genuine, saved people, they bear zero fruit just like the hard-hearted guy. 
They're in the same category when it comes to bearing fruit, and so nobody's going to know any difference. They're too wrapped up in the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Put simply, these are the pressures and pools of the world. And who is the ruler of the world? See, the enemy wants nothing more than to take you as genuinely saved people and get you into a state of total satisfaction with the world around you so that you bear zero fruit in the name of Christ. That's his goal. And so even Christians can be influenced by the enemy in that way. And if you are here and you are bearing no fruit, and remember last week we defined this fruit as becoming like Christ and sharing Christ, and if these fruits are not pouring out of your life, then you're probably under the influence of something evil because that's where he wants to keep you. That's where the enemy wants to keep you, fruitless Christians. Luke says it this way, and it's pretty interesting. He says these are the people who, uh, they respond to truth, and then they, they go on their way. When they've heard, they go on their way, and then the worries and riches and pleasures keep their fruit from becoming mature. And I read that in this way, that maybe thorny people, they have some fruit in their lives, but no pruning has happened. There's good stuff growing and everything else is growing and they're not doing anything to cut out the other stuff so that the good stuff can grow unhindered. Maybe some inward change, and that's good, but there is no outward accommodation for the inward change. The schedule stays the same, the relationships stay the same, everything stays the same and they just assume, well, I can surely just do both. And you can't. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. One's gonna win and the other's not. And in this case, if you try to, to keep all devotions going, then your devotion's gonna be divided and what's gonna take the hit is the truth. Every time. Thorny people are often churchgoers at a comfortable rate, of course. Settled in their experiences. They don't like change, but at the same time, they, they really need to keep their options open so that they can chase whatever the thorn is in their life. They gotta keep their options open so they can chase the thorns that they love most. And we all know the thorns, right? Sex, money, notability, travel, sports, popularity, work, sports, work, popularity, sports. Like we just keep saying them over and over again. It's like, these are the thorns. This is the world. This is where we are wrapped up. Like this, this is it. We make the list all the time. None of them sinful in and of themselves. But they become so when they get out of balance and when we use them outside of God's design. And so people who might know the word really well and they've gone to church forever and they might have grown up in church, but if you were to look at their lives, you know, uh, a year, five years, 10 years, even 30 years ago, and compare it to a year of their life now, you would be shocked to see that the only thing that's changed about them is their hair color. When it comes to their attitude, their character, their zeal for the gospel, that's all the same. That's not grown an inch. Thorny people have faith, but they don't bear fruit. And when it comes to fruit bearing, they're, no, they're, they're, they're not any different than somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And it's because there's a bunch of other stuff growing with it, and it's divided their devotion so much so that when truth wants to bud, there's a, chorn, there's a thorn already at its throat. This is my greatest struggle, perhaps yours. It's why we preach against it so often. It's why we're always preaching against ourselves in this way, and we've just invited you in, whether you like it or not. You're probably pretty uncomfortable with a lot of sermons here at FBN. I've had to learn through a lot of my own mistakes in this regard, and I'm still learning, not only from my mistakes, but also from the mistakes of other people. I mean, a church leader from another church at one point just expressed to me how worn out and tired he had become, just the constant pressure of work, 
the constant activity with kids and sports and clubs and all these commitments. They tried to enter each one with this evangelistic mindset. You know, we're just going to go in and try to be the light of Christ. But as we all know, that's not the case. Your competitive nature acts out, right? You just get lost in, in it. It doesn't really work out that way. And so he kind of handed his own, he confessed all that, just acknowledged that there just wasn't an, an, an ounce of margin in his life or his family's lives. And then he looked at me and said, but you'll know soon enough because your kids are getting to that age. And I kind of shrugged it off and laughed and was like, yeah, we'll see, whatever. You know, but what I should have said on my heart was, no way. Over my dead body will I let my family go through what you're going, you're going through with your family. It's like we don't have a choice in the back, but we do. There's no way I'm going to do this. People don't feel as they can escape these thorns, and they just feel, this is just the way. Well, your kids are getting older, so yeah, your life has to suck completely, and you have to be drowning and choking, but that's just part of it. No. The Lord calls us to something so much bigger, and he's given us and equipped us with something so much better. I don't need my kids to be athletic superstars or popular. That's not a thing in the scriptures. These things will not serve them in eternity, and more than likely, they won't serve them 20 years from now. And you know those people who are still living in high school as a 30-year-old. They're weird. <laughs> They're uh, like still talking about their athletic ability when they were 16, still talking about who was dating who. Back in high school, they were with this. It's weird. There's nothing good about it. So why, do we, why are we so desperate to raise our kids the same way? Chasing popularity, chasing stardom. We don't want that for our family. As for us in our house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to cater our, our lives, our, our, our lifestyle and our kids' lives for that purpose. And Lord willing, they will not need to embrace the thorns of the world for temporary validation at the cost of their spiritual dignity. Selwyn Hughes put it this way. He says, I'm not on the way to success. I'm on the way, capital W, the way of Christ. That's pretty simple, and it's pretty clear, and that's what I want for my family, for your family, for this church. But for us to know this and to do this, we've got to prune our out-of-balance devotions before they prune us. Because if we don't prune them, they will prune us. The comfort here is that if we prune if we do it, if we stay ahead, then there is freedom. There is total freedom. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says this, but now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, which is spiritual growth, spiritual formation, becoming more like Christ. And the outcome is eternal life. There's nothing else that you can enslave yourself to that promises such a thing only God. And you have a new master in Christ Jesus, and he is far more gracious and kind than sin or the world or you have ever been to you. And he provides freedom from the world and freedom from what others think and freedom from popularity and freedom from the perceptions of others and freedom to serve God unhindered when we prune the thorns before they prune us. And the result is fruit. The result is fruit. Mark chapter 4, verse 20, this is what Jesus says. And those like seeds sown on the good ground, they hear the word, they welcome it, and they produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Compounding fruits. He says here that these are not just people who hear the word, but they welcome it. 
They welcome it. Right? That's an attitude thing. That's a motive thing. They're not just here because my family's here. I'm not just here because my girlfriend's here. I'm not just here because it's Sunday and there's nothing else to do. I'm here because I want to welcome truth into my life. I need Jesus. I want him. The good ground, are they the only people who welcome the truth? The other people just happen to be in the midst of it. Welcome the truth. And by the way, this is, this is part of just another comfort that we've got to acknowledge. Our job is actually pretty simple when it comes to all of this ecological stuff, right? All of the planting, sowing, all that. Our job is pretty simple. It's to welcome truth and it's to share truth. That's it. This is our comfort to know that we can't control the hearts of people. We can't control how they respond to truth. And that's not between me and them. That's between them and God. All I've been called to do is welcome truth into my own life and to share truth uh, uh, to others, to be a sower of truth, and then to trust God with anything and everything else. And you've probably caught the drift. The only way to genuine, authentic, real comfort, and I'm not talking about easy when I say comfort. I'm talking about comfort of fulfillment and rest and true joy, even amidst persecution and distress. The only way to find this comfort is to receive truth, to welcome it and receive it. Apart from that, there is nothing. There is nothing. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral zone. It's to receive truth. And in that, there is comfort. Comfort for your heart. Comfort for your eternity. Comfort to know that your master now is one who loves you and cares about you and has given you the, the fullest measure of the gifts of the kingdom of heaven. The comfort of forgiveness for your sins and healing of your shame. The comfort of having a mission to live for and to, to be able to actually provide others with what they need most. The comfort of having a perfect king worthy of your devotion and service. This is the comfort that we want. And this is the comfort that we want to spend some time now just kind of reflecting about and, and, and honestly calling you to. So if I could, we don't do this a ton, but if I could just have everyone bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment as we go into a time of reflection. No one looking around. Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'm doing this the same way in my own heart. But as Seth said, there's two kinds of people in this room, and there's one kind of people who you feel the Lord stirring. You feel the Lord stirring in your heart towards belief and surrender. And maybe you grew up in church, or maybe you're brand new to it. I don't know, but you have a sense of God. You have a sense of who Jesus is and, and what he did, and you realize your need for forgiveness for your sin and for your resistance to truth. And right now, you feel inside that you want and need Jesus. You need him. You feel him. You need to surrender and let him in. To call on his name for salvation. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask for just a little bravery from you. If that's you, if you're in that place of just needing him to save your heart and soul, and you want to call upon him for salvation, would you simply just raise your hand just high enough that I can actually see it? This isn't to call you out. This isn't to do anything other than just know how we can pray. Thanks. The second group of people are those of you who have just, you've surrendered your life to Christ, but you're, you're without any discernible fruit right now. You can honestly say your life is trapped by the thorns of the world and you're kind of overcome by them. 
And remember last week we talked about the compound effect of the Holy Spirit unhindered to help us become more like Jesus and to share Christ with others. And right now we don't feel the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in any of these camps. We don't feel like we're growing and becoming like Christ. We aren't sharing his truth. We're more often being pruned than we are doing the pruning. And if this is you, and if you see this imbalance in your life, would you be brave enough to just simply lift your hand? So again, no calling out, just, to, just so we know how to pray for you. Amen. Listen, whichever way the Lord is stirring in your heart, for everybody in this room, anybody who's raised your hand, the appropriate next step is simply to pray to confess your sins to him, to ask for his forgiveness, knowing with certainty that he will give it because he's a good king and he's a good God. And if you've never worded this out loud, you've heard us say things like call on the name of the Lord, but you never actually said it in your own words. Well, let me go ahead and just help you know how to word it in a prayer, okay? So I'm gonna pray and you can just simply follow my lead, right? Pray the prayer that I'm about to model, but you pray it between you and the Lord and you pray it talking to him and only him. Something like this, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, that I've resisted your truth and that my spiritual life is choking. But right now, I feel you stirring and I know you're drawing me to you and I don't want to resist anymore. I believe in you and I believe in your power to save me from death and hell and empty living. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. By your blood shed on the cross, would you make me clean? And would you make your seeds of truth run deep in my heart? Make me more like you and help me share your truth with others. And thank you for healing my heart and saving my soul. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay, you can look up. And thank you. Listen, there's a lot of you who are just like me. And you've raised your hands today. And so I'm going to ask you to take it one step further. And again, I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but I've actually, through the sanctuary, placed like little response cards. There's connect cards and then there's response cards right behind that. And I've sat through enough of these kinds of experiences to know that I can raise my hand, but when it comes to actually following through with something, the next thing, that a small fraction of people do that. But if you were one of those people who wants prayer, who raised your hand, I want to strongly suggest to you to grab one of those cards and to write on there, to check off what, what you need prayer for. You can include your name. You don't have to include your name if you don't want to. You can say if you want a, pa- uh, uh, to reach, a pastor to reach out to you. There's even some contact information, including my personal email at the bottom of that. So if you want to just touch base later in the week, we can do that. But a next step would be great. A next step to really, to really endure through whatever you're going through and to really address the thing that you're, you're praying through and to, to let us become a part of that with you. We're here for you in that way. And that's, that's all that is. It's a simple challenge. And if you do happen to fill out one of those response cards, there's a black, pot, spot, uh, a black box right down the middle of this aisle. You can't miss it. You just drop it in there and we'll touch base. Okay, so I want to invite you to that. But listen, the Lord is good and he's done some work. And we got another service starting in five minutes. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll move on. But thank you so much for your response to the Lord this morning. God, thank you for everything that you've done among us. Grateful for your love, your, your truth, your kindness, and your goodness. Father, we, we submit it all to you. For those uh, in this room who raised their hands or even in their hearts, they've responded. I pray that you give them the boldness and the courage to keep that going, to keep responding. God, to not let it be a momentary thing, but that they, they would continue to respond to you. And God, that you would, you would take what you've started here and that you would just 
flourish it, make it grow into beautiful fruit that, became, that makes us become more like you and helps us share your truth with those around us who need it. We love you, Father, and it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. Say hi to somebody else coming in. We love you guys. You're dismissed.